It's good to be among friends both inside the building and outside the building. <laughs> I have really been looking forward to this weekend uh, to be with all of you, but uh, to be with your pastor and to be with Brother John. Uh, they're two of my closest friends. Uh, I've been close to Brother John for about as long as I can remember. He uh, was one of my groomsmen at our wedding, and he delivered the charge at my ordination. And uh, one thing I appreciate about Brother Michael and about Brother John, I've said this outside of their presence, so I'll say it while they can hear me tonight. One of the things I admire about both of them is that they, they take their duty and their responsibility as ministers of the gospel very seriously, but they don't take themselves too seriously. And we need more men like that among us, uh, rather than the other way around. So we, we don't need to take ourselves too seriously and not take our responsibility seriously enough. And I th I'm thankful for their good example. Turn with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 records one of the more familiar events of the Old Testament concerning Naaman, the Syrian. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor but he was a leper. Now the Bible tells us six things about Naaman in this verse. The first five are all very positive. It tells us that Naaman was the captain of the Syrian army. He was the general over their army. He was Syria's secretary of defense, so to speak. Uh, he was a man of, of great authority over the military of Syria. At this time in history, Syria was one of the most powerful nations and one of the most powerful military forces uh, in, in the world. And just a few years prior to this, Syria had defeated Israel in battle. And the Bible tells us that the Lord was the one who gave the victory to Naaman and to the army of Syria uh, to win the victory over Israel. And of course, you know that part of the reason for that was because uh, that was a judgment for Israel's disobedience and rebelliousness and idolatry. But the Bible says that God used Naaman uh, to deliver Israel uh, into the hands of the Syrians uh, and to give Syria the victory. So he was a national war hero. He was, not just, uh, he was not just powerful. He didn't just have a lot of authority over that nation's army. Uh, but he was, uh, he was a national hero. He was a war hero in Syria because of this victory that Syria had won over Israel. It says that he was a great man. He was an honorable man and a mighty man of valor. I mean, this just sounds like the, the kind of person you would want your sons to grow up to be like uh, when they grow up. But, anytime you read the word but, that means that whatever came before that word really doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter what came before the word but, what comes after is really all that matters. And the Bible says that even though he was a mighty man of valor, even though he was a great man, he commanded this army, he was a national hero in Syria, uh, 
but he was a leper. And you need to know that in that day, leprosy was the most dreadful thing that could happen to somebody. People feared leprosy, and for good reason. Uh, people feared leprosy as much as they feared anything. That was the worst possible thing that could befall a person, was to come down with leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible is very often associated with sin. It's a, it's a picture or an illustration of sin. Uh, and we could, we could just as easily, in this first verse of, of the chapter here, we could replace our own names in that. It doesn't matter what accomplishments you have. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what you've done in this life that you're proud of. Whatever your greatest achievements are, it doesn't matter if you're the, the CEO of, of a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter um, if, if you are the most popular kid in your high school. It doesn't matter if you're uh, the quarterback of the, the Super Bowl champion team. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States. It doesn't matter if you're the, the, the greatest preacher that the Primitive Baptists have ever known. But you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. Amen. It doesn't matter what our accomplishments are. What really matters at the end of the day, apart from the grace of God, is that we're sinners. All of our accomplishments, all of our achievements, all of our laurels really don't mean anything. Just like all of Naaman's accomplishments didn't mean anything when he was struck with leprosy. Once Naaman was diagnosed with leprosy, none of that other stuff really mattered. Leprosy was, uh, was a very serious disease. It was a skin disease, but it didn't just affect the skin. It started at the skin, but it, it went deeper than that. It began to just rot away a person's flesh from the skin. It worked its way from the outside in, uh, until eventually um, it killed the, the nerve endings. Um, I, I have read that people who were uh, in the later stages of leprosy would get to a point where they would lose their feeling, they would lose their nerve endings, and so um, rats would begin to, to gnaw on them and to begin to, to bite on their fingers and toes, and they wouldn't know it because they couldn't feel it. Now, I realize that's very graphic and, and not very pleasant to think about, but uh, that's nothing compared to my sin and to your sin. And so eventually, parts of people's bodies would fall off. Fingers and toes would fall off. That's, that's the kind of uh, fate that awaited a person who was diagnosed with leprosy. And they knew it. They knew that there was really no cure for it. It was almost unheard of for a person to recover from leprosy. It was a fatal disease. And not only was it a death sentence, but it was considered to be very highly contagious. And so once a person had leprosy, uh, part of the laws that God gave Israel was they were to be quarantined. They were to be isolated. They were to be thrown out of the city. They couldn't be in the in the company of other people. They had to leave their families. They had to leave their friends, their neighbors. They had to go outside the city. And uh, if they were uh, going to be with anybody else at all, it had to be with other lepers because they were contagious. And if they did encounter other people, if they did go into the city where other people were, they had to, to, to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that other people knew to stay away from them. 
So not only was this a death sentence for Naaman, but he would have eventually become very isolated where he couldn't have any fellowship, any friendship, any connection with any other people whatsoever. It was a very uh, isolating and, and stigmatizing disease for a person to have. But it says that a few years before when Syria had defeated Israel, when, uh, when Syria conquered Israel, they brought back slaves with them. They brought back people captive out of Israel and they, they put many, uh, any, many Jewish men, women, and children into slavery in Syrian families. And one of those uh, was a little Jewish slave girl. We don't know her name. We talked about another slave girl last night. But just like the one we talked about last night, we don't know her name. But we know that she is a young girl, and she is uh, a slave or a servant in Naaman's house. And, and in particular, her job is to wait on Naaman's wife. She is the, the handmaid or the, the servant to Mrs. Naaman. And so um, put yourself in her shoes. You know, you're a young girl, and Naaman is responsible for for destroying your homeland he's he has declared war against your nation against your people you've seen many of your friends and family members die at the hands of Naaman and his army and now Naaman and his army have brought you back as a slave and you're he's forcing you to work against your will for no money for his wife now if that were most of us we would be very bitter towards somebody like that. If that were me, when I found out that Naaman had been diagnosed with leprosy, I would have said, good. That's what he gets. I'm glad that old fool has leprosy. And I, now I've got a front row seat to sit back and watch him slowly die and get what he deserves. And every time one of his fingers would fall off, I'd say, there goes another I can't wait till the next finger falls off. That would have been the natural response for almost any of us to have. But she didn't do that. She told Naaman's wife, she said, I wish Naaman was in, was in Israel because there's a prophet in Israel. And I know that if Naaman could just get to that prophet, he would recover him of his leprosy. This little slave girl says, if, he'll just, if you can just convince him to go to this prophet in Israel, this prophet can, can heal him and cleanse him of his leprosy. And so... Naaman's wife communicates this to Naaman. And so Naaman goes to the king. Did you notice that the slave girl didn't tell, this, this little maiden did not tell, nowhere in here does she mention the king of Israel. Excuse me. He goes to the king of Syria first. He goes to the king of Syria. Naaman goes to his king, the king of Syria, and, and communicates to him what this little slave girl, what this maiden has said about the prophet in Israel. 
And, uh, and so the king of Syria loads him up with lots of gold and lots of silver. It's ten, ten talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and ten changes of clothes. Ten changes of raiment. But he he sent uh, the, the king of Syria gives Naaman this just this wagon load of of gold and silver and fine clothing and sends him on his way to Israel along with a letter to the king of Israel from the king of Syria and he sends it by Naaman so that when he arrives at the king of of Israel the king of Israel uh, opens up this letter and reads the letter and the letter says uh, that I am sending you uh, this my servant Naaman and when you read this letter uh, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy now remember I said that leprosy was highly contagious when the king of Israel reads that letter he realizes that he has just been exposed to leprosy he has uh, as far as he's concerned, the king of, of Syria has just sent him a bioweapon in the person of Naaman. So the king of Syria has just exposed the king of, of Israel to leprosy because he, sent, uh, he has sent Naaman to him. That's kind of like opening up a letter and you read the letter and the letter says uh, there's anthrax in this letter. And not only that, when the king of Israel reads this letter, um, not only is he furious that he has been exposed to this dirty, filthy, unclean leper, that he's possibly been uh, exposed to the disease, but not only that, now he's ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean. But on top of that, he knows that he doesn't have the power to, uh, to cure this man of his leprosy. He doesn't have the power to heal this man of his leprosy. In fact, up until this point, there's only ever been two other people in Israel's history, or as far as we know in the history of the whole world, who have ever uh, recovered from leprosy. And they were both miraculously healed by God, Moses and his sister Miriam. And so uh, the king of Israel knows, I can't heal this man from his leprosy. So he thinks that the king of Syria is trying to, to, to start another war. He's giving him an impossible task that he knows he can't do. He thinks he's trying to, to pick another fight and start another war between Syria and Israel. And so the king of Israel is furious. He rends his clothes. He says, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? And so when Elisha finds out that the king was furious, that he rent his clothes, that he turned him away, uh, did I say Elisha? When Naaman, I'm getting ahead of myself here, when Naaman finds out that the king of, Sir, that the king of Israel uh, was furious and rent his clothes and turned him away, Naaman finally decides to go down to the prophet Elisha's house where he should have known in the first place. Because after all, his wife's, mistress, uh, his wife's servant, uh, this, this little maid, 
she didn't say anything about going to kings. She didn't say that Naaman needs to go to the king of Syria, or for that matter, to the king of Israel. She said he needs to go to the prophet. But Naaman made the same mistake that a lot of us do. He thinks that the solution to his problem is going to be with the rich and the powerful. He thinks that the solution to his problem, the cure to his disease, is going to be found uh, with kings and with governors and with presidents and with people who have power and influence and fame and fortune and riches. And so rather than just go to the prophet like this little girl said to go to in the first place, he goes to the king. And every time he goes to the king, he, he, he never gets the solution to his problem as long as he goes to the king. Uh, and so he goes to the wrong people. And by the way, he also brings the wrong things. He went to the wrong people, but he brought the wrong things with him. He brought with him gold and silver and fine clothing uh, in order to try to, to purchase a healing, in order to try to purchase a cure for his leprosy. We're going to find that that doesn't work. And so he finally does, after he gets turned away by the king, he goes to the prophet Elisha. But when he gets to the prophet Elisha's house, he's expecting, because after all, he's a war hero, remember? He's, he's famous. You know, he's somebody important. He is probably expecting to have the red carpet rolled out for him. I mean, he's expecting to have people waiting on him. Uh, he, he's expecting a parade. Uh, aren't we privileged that we have the opportunity to, to receive this great uh, Syrian captain uh, into the home of our prophet today? So he's expecting probably to be welcomed with open arms for great fanfare to be made. And he gets to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. Elisha, he's probably just in there, sitting on his sofa. He doesn't even bother to, to, to come out of the house uh, to, uh, to greet Naaman, much less to, to do what Naaman had in mind. He sends his messenger out, and the messenger tells Naaman, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought. Let's pause right there. How often do those two words get us in trouble? How many times have we said, I thought, and it got us into deep trouble. I mean, when I was a kid, and I, would, I, was, I was a bad kid, I mean, I got in a lot of trouble. And every time I got into trouble, and I would start to make excuses for myself, and I would try to explain myself, and try to rationalize what I did, and minimize what I did, almost always my explanation or my justification would start off, I thought. I thought that you wouldn't catch me. I thought I wouldn't get in trouble. I thought it wouldn't be that bad. I, I thought it would be a good idea. Whenever we get to saying I thought, it usually leads us down the wrong path. 
Naaman said, I thought. We're going to find out that he thought the wrong thing. You know, I mentioned earlier that he went to the wrong people. He brought the wrong things with him. But he also had the wrong idea. He said, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. So Naaman said, I thought that Elisha would come out to me. He would meet me in his driveway. And he would stand... And he would call in the name of the Lord his God. And then he would strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Naaman had it in his mind that Elisha was going to come out there and perform some, some elaborate ritual, some ceremony. He was going to come out there and, and chant some incantation, say abracadabra. He was going to, he was going to you know, go through some ritual he was going to you know, tell him, you've got, to, you've got to you know, stand on your left foot and sneeze three times and then bow twice. You know, he, had a, he had it in his mind that he had to go through some elaborate, complicated, ceremonially, uh, ceremonial ritual. And Elisha just sends his messenger out there and says, go wash in the Jordan River. Naaman was offended by the simplicity of, of the commandments that he was given. He was offended by the simplicity of the cure. You know, it, it, it's just our nature that we're attracted to something complicated. You know, we take simple things and we can complicate them in a hurry because that's just our nature. Uh, you know, uh, we, we have a way of taking simple things and we don't, we don't value things that are simple. But the more complicated you make it, uh, the, more, the more important and the more special we think it is. Um, one of the dishes that my mother is famous for is her peach cobbler and her blueberry cobbler. Uh, everybody loves it. People go crazy over it. And then they ask for the recipe and she tells them, and it's the easiest thing in the world to make, and so my wife has told her that she really needs to add in several steps and make it seem a whole lot more complicated than it is so that people will, will you know, appreciate it even more. Because that's what we do. We, appre you know, we value things that, that we feel are complicated and things that are simple. We're like, anybody can do that. Well, that was the point. Anybody could have done what, what uh, the prophet of God was telling Naaman to do. But, but Naaman thought that that, would, that that made it not special. You know, he thought he was somebody. He wanted something that, that other people couldn't do. You know? and, the, and the servants even told him. His servants said, if, if this prophet had told you to do, do some great thing, 
If the prophet had told you to, to climb Mount Everest and to make some tea out of a berry that can only be found on a bush that grows on the top of Mount Everest, you would have done that. If he had told you to, to clip the toenails off of a, of a dragon, you would have done that. But he's given you the simplest thing in the world to do. Go to the Jordan River and wash seven times. And thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. If, you, if he had told you to do some difficult, complicated, elaborate ritual, you would have done it. But he's given you something easy to do, and you won't even do it. Why not, why not just do what he said to do? It, wouldn't that be a lot easier if rather than trying to make things complicated, we would just do what the Lord told us to do? Uh, you know, that's true, in, 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 that's true doctrinally speaking. You know, the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the doctrine of grace is is so simple it's beautiful but it's simple and then we try to complicate it by adding stuff for us to do by by taking the simple finished work of jesus christ and trying to add our involvement and our works to it you know the worship service that jesus christ has set up in his church is beautifully simple it's so simple but we try to complicate it by adding stuff to it, trying to, to, trying to add to what Jesus Christ has perfected in his church. We do the same thing that Naaman did. So he was offended by the simplicity of the cure. He was also offended by the exclusivity of it, by the sovereignty of it. Now the prophet of God said to go wash in the Jordan River. Now I'm told by people who have traveled to the Bible lands and have seen the Jordan River, I'm told that it is the most unimpressive body of water that you've ever seen in your life. People who have been there say that it is just a muddy, shallow, just unimpressive stream. I mean, it pales in comparison to the Omogi River. And so Naaman says... We've got better rivers than that back home. I traveled all the way here for this little thing, for this muddy, dirty, shallow river, when I could have done this in these clean, pure, fresh waters in Syria, in Damascus. But you see, it wasn't about the water itself. It wasn't about, I mean, the H2O that ran through Abana and Farpar was the same H2O that ran through the Jordan, except the Jordan's was a little bit dirtier and muddier. It had nothing to do with any mystical properties of the water. It had to do with the fact that God is sovereign to say, this is the river that you're to wash in. Not the Abana, not the Farpar, not the Nile, not the Euphrates. This is the river that you're to, to wash in seven times. There was nothing special about that water. There was nothing special about the number seven. It was the fact that God said, do it. And, and that's, that's the sovereignty of God at work here. And Naaman was offended by the sovereignty of God. He was offended by the exclusivity of it. You know, uh, Jesus talks about that when he refers back to this account in the, in the New Testament. Jesus refers back to this and he says, there were many lepers in Israel 
during the days of Naam, uh, uh, during during the days of Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha, but to none of them was the prophet sent, except to Naaman the Syrian. God didn't send Elisha to any of the Jewish lepers. He could have, but he sent him outside of the nation of Israel. He sent him to a Gentile Syrian named Naaman. So, so Naaman was offended by the sovereignty of God in this matter. So finally, he goes down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now wouldn't that have been something if Naaman had, had only dipped six times? I can just imagine when Naaman got out there in the water, by the way, almost certainly Naaman had to get partially or completely undressed to get in the Jordan River. Can you imagine all of the, all of the laurels, all of the, the gold medals, all of the ribbons that this war hero wore? Can you imagine all the fancy expensive clothing that he wore because of his position? all of the, the, the military uh, uh, garments that he wore. In order to wash himself in the Jordan River, he had to take all that off. Once he took all that off, he was just a leper like any other leper. That's how we are in the sight of God apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. We're just sinners. We're just lepers. So he had to... He had to to humble himself. He had to humiliate himself in order to do what God told him to do. He gets down in the water and he begins to dip. And I can just see after that first time, he gets up out of the water after the first time, he thinks this is the dumbest, silliest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I can't believe I'm doing this. Who talked me into this? The second time comes back up and nothing happens. Third time, fourth time, I don't feel any different, I'm still a leper. If he had stopped after the sixth time, he would have gone back to Syria a leper. But on the seventh time, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean, and returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. <clears throat> you know, Naaman was not, he didn't set out looking for God. He was just looking for a cure. He wasn't really, there's nothing in the text that indicates that he was concerned uh, about looking for God. He was looking for a cure. And now, in a manner of speaking, you know what I mean when I say this, he found God, really God found him, but you understand what I mean when I say that. He was looking for a cure, but in the process, he, he found God in a manner of speaking. And now, he's not even talking about the cure anymore. He's not talking about the fact that he's been recovered of his leprosy. Now all he can talk about is the fact that now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. You know, a few verses earlier, he said, I thought that prophet was going to come out here and call on the Lord his God. Now it's not his God anymore, it's my God, the God of all the earth, 
There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, pray, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Here's all that gold and silver and fine clothing I brought for you, Elisha. Here, here it is. Take it. And Elisha says, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Not only was Naaman offended by the simplicity of the cure, he was offended by the the, the exclusivity or the sovereignty of the cure, but he was offended by the freeness of the cure. He thought he could buy his healing. And even after he was already healed, you know, he still wanted to pay the prophet, but Elisha wouldn't take any because he didn't want Elisha, he did, Elisha did not want Naaman to go away thinking that Naaman had any part in this whatsoever. He didn't want Naaman to, to get the impression that he did anything to earn it or to buy it. And Naaman said, Shall there, since, since you won't take what I brought for you, since you won't take a, a gift from me, he says, will you give something to me instead? He says, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. You know, when we come to a meeting like this, sometimes we can, we can be tempted to say, and this was such a great meeting, wouldn't it be great if we never had to leave here? Wouldn't it be great if we could all just kind of stay here together and, and never leave, and we could just all kind of buy, you know, adjoining property so we could just hang out all the time, we'd never have to go back into the real world. It probably would have been tempting for Naaman to stay in Israel. Because after all, he just said, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. There's a part of him that probably wanted to just say goodbye to, to his homeland in Syria, stay in Israel, uh, and just live there for the rest of his life. But instead, he said, how about this? Will you give me two mule loads of Jewish dirt, of soil from Israel, and I'll take it back with me into Syria. I can't stay here. I wish I could, but I've got to go back home. I've got, I've got a job to do. I've got, I've got duties and responsibilities to take care of. So when I go back into the real world, I'm going to take some of this, this dirt from the Holy Land, so to speak. I'm going to take some of this, this Jewish dirt as, as an emblem of my devotion to the God of Israel. I'm going I'm to take a little bit of this, this holy land back with me. I can't stay in the holy land, but I can take it with me. You know, as nice as it would be, we think, to just kind of all stay here together all the time. That really wouldn't do us much. That, it might do us some good. We'd probably kill each other after a while. But it might do us some good to stay here and just, you know, not have to go back into the real world, that wouldn't do any good for anybody else, would it? That'd be kind of selfish to keep, to keep what, we've, what we're enjoying here this weekend ourselves. That'd be kind of selfish. The only way we can be salt and light, the only way salt does any good is it's got to come into contact with stuff. The only way light does any good is it's got to shine on something that previously was dark. And so... Uh, Naaman took that, that dirt, that soil, back with him into Syria. 
There's a song we sing, I think it's in this hymnal, that says, take the name of Jesus with you. That's what, that's what Naaman did, so to speak, when he took those two, those two mules worth of, of dirt back with him from Israel into Syria. He didn't know the name of Jesus yet, but he took the name of Jesus with him. He took the God of Israel, uh, symbolically speaking, with him back into Syria because he said, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. I appreciate your good patience and attention. God bless you.